0: reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and chapter 9 when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth how one's eyes see sleep neither day nor night then I saw all the work of God that no one can find out what is happening under the sun however however much they may toil in seeking they will not find it out even though those who are wise claim to know they cannot find it out. All this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God, whether it is love or hate one does not know. Everything that confronts them is vanity, since the same fate comes to all, to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to those who sacrifice and those who do not sacrifice. As are the good so are the sinners. Those who swear are like those who shun an oath. This is an evil that happens under the sun, that the same fate comes to everyone. Moreover, the hearts their the hearts are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that they go to the dead. But whoever is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. The living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing. They have no more reward, and even the memory of them is lost. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. Never never again will they have any share in all that happens under the sun. Go eat your bread with enjoyment, and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has long ago approved what you do. Let your garments always be white. Do not let oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life that are given to you are given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life. And in your toil at which you toil under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shale to where you're going again i saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift nor battle to the strong nor bread to the wise nor riches to the intelligent nor favor to the skillful but time and chance happen to them all for no one can anticipate the time of disaster like a fish taken in a cruel net and like birds caught in a snare So mortals are snared at a time of calamity when it suddenly falls upon them. The word of the... Oh, there's more. more. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few people in it. A great king came against it and besieged it, building a great siege works against it. Now there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is not better than might. Yet the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heeded. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one bungler destroys much good. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I will catch my breath now and wish you grace and peace from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I have been like many of you, some of you may not care, um, some of you may be struggling like many of you, I have been in a really uh, difficult sports drought uh, ever since they decided to cancel March Madness um, and then no baseball season, so the only thing that has kept me hanging on besides uh, mobile football games that my wife would like me to stop playing. The only thing that has kept me hanging on is this documentary that many of you have probably seen on ESPN called The Last Dance. If you have not seen it, I really recommend it to you even if you do not like sports. And maybe don't watch it with small children because it has some interesting language. Now, if you haven't seen it and you don't watch ESPN, The Last Dance is a documentary about the 1998 Chicago Bulls. A team that had already won five NBA championships in the 90s and they are uh, we have unprecedented behind-the-scenes access to see this team as they are chasing their uh sixth uh, i think this is unprecedented in basketball or in any sport to tell you the truth uh their third straight championship their third straight and their sixth uh, overall it's amazing to me because i did grow up in the 90s and michael jordan from the time i think i was in uh, probably before the time i was in kindergarten uh, but by the time i was paying attention to sports was absolutely everywhere shoes mcdonald's commercials Uh, So I've enjoyed it mostly for the nostalgia, even when it's painful, like the shot he made against the Cavs in the playoffs uh, that one year, which I remember watching as a child. Uh, But the other reason that I find it so fascinating is just the character of Michael Jordan. He had already won six championships, but he was so mad. He wanted to go for a seventh. He wanted to go for more. He was the fiercest competitor that anyone has ever seen. And I think that comes out in the documentary. My favorite part was when they got a a new offensive coordinator and he had this wonderful idea for the triangle offense. And Michael Jordan just didn't want to pass the ball to people. And the coach told him, well, there's no I in team. Michael Jordan said, yeah, but there's an I in win, though. It's amazing to see a human being who was able to do so much on the basketball court and who was driven to achieve so much. But in the midst of that, it's an immense story about loss. Because the 1998 Bulls were the coaches last year. A lot of the players were going to be uh, traded. Um, and so that's the name of it. That's why it's called The Last Dance. Because they knew that this year was the last year that they had a chance to do something together. It's something great about sports. That that sense of immediacy. Because bodies decay. uh Players start to get expensive, contracts wane, uh, sports never quite lasts. And one thing I noticed uh, in watching this documentary is players that I watched play basketball as a kid, I'm seeing them enter middle, late middle and old age. Some of them look good, some of them look terrible. But this whole documentary is, uh, for me, just a reminder of how transient, even the things like sports that we, that we look at and say, wow, look at all these young guys, look at these physically fit guys, that fades away. I haven't gotten to the part where Michael Jordan plays for the Washington Wizards, but I imagine that's going to be a really sad part. I'm only about halfway in to this. To this documentary, right? And I, I haven't preached about sports in a while. So you got a lot of it through a fire hose on the front and watch the documentary. But even more, just think about life. Think about the way that bodies Fade. Think about the way that we can't accomplish the things that we used to do so easily. I was out hiking with my family yesterday and Noah dropped something and I was going to bend over and pick it up and, you know, something I've done hundreds of times and it was much harder than I thought that it would be, right? Nothing really lasts in this life, whether it's our ambitions, whether it's the things that we strive for. Even sometimes the things that we really thought that we cared about, we don't care about them as much. And what we try to do in the midst of this world and uh, this reality that we know is decaying and fading around us is we try to make some kind of name for ourselves. You can see that this was the passion animating Michael Jordan, I guess I'm not done, animating Michael Jordan throughout his career. He wanted to be the best in basketball, and then he wanted to win a championship, and then he wanted to win more championships. He kept pushing for more and more and more. And even if we're not as talented as he was, many of us want to do the same thing. We want to get our names on things. We want to get remembered. We become like in one of my favorite episodes of Seinfeld, where George and Jerry found that uh, this old Frogger machine that they used to play on in the 80s was still at this restaurant, and George's high score was all the way at the top. And you have to see the episode, but George, because it was about to lose its battery, it was about to lose his power and erase his high score, he takes this Frogger machine and runs it across a busy (laughs) New York street, and it's filmed to look just like Frogger, by the way, if you've played the game. And in and with such energy he's trying to save this high score he's trying to save his legacy and then a Mack truck comes and just plows it right over at the very end and Jerry says game over it's a great it's from the you know Seinfeld got great at the end it's from that uh, last episode of Seinfeld and I feel like that's often how we are we are looking for those places that we made an impact and we will do anything in order to maintain it, in order to make a name for ourselves. As the author of this uh, very uh, small and, and seldom mentioned book of the Bible uh, put it, we always try to look for some kind of gain that will outlast us when we die. This biblical book has... Uh, a way of talking about this desire that we have. It, said, it says, or the, the author, who in Hebrew is called koholeth, or sometimes the teacher, or the preacher, or the one speaking in assembly. When I read this, I always imagine a college professor uh, giving that you know final lecture to to their students, and uh, it's supposed to contain the sum of all their of all their wisdom. I remember watching Tim Wangertz on YouTube, um, and and uh, this teacher says, you know what? In all my years of study, in all my years of learning, here's what I've learned: that everything is it's vanity. Now we have. Uh, Heard this word vanity, and we always think of vanity as somebody who spends a lot of time looking in the mirror, Uh, but vanity means something a little bigger, a little more broad in scripture. The word for vanity in Hebrew is hebel, which literally means mere breath. And so the author of Ecclesiastes says that everything that we try to accomplish in life is just breath. Doesn't doesn't matter if they make a statue of us, doesn't matter if they name a foundation after us, no matter what we accomplish. It's breath. It goes away because we die. Or if you want to take the word of Kansas for it, anything that we do is just dust in the wind, right? it's hard to look at life that way and it might have been a little harder to look at life that way before this crazy year of 2020 it's amazing that everything just kind of came to a grinding halt in march everything that we strive for everything that we were trying to do everything that kind of marked our lives all that busyness all that hustle and bustle just kind of came to this abrupt stop, and we were staying in our homes and, and doing puzzles and trying to figure out why we were looking in the refrigerator for the 15th time, right? It all just kind of stopped, and we just saw how vulnerable we were to this microscopic virus that, who knows how it spread, but just, that just travels through the air and uh, was able to end 100,000 lives and we just saw in the midst of that we 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 looked at all these things that thought we thought that mattered so much they all just turned into dust in the wind in the same way for those of us like I am who are white middle-class North Americans we've been seeing lately that everything that we thought of uh, that kind of kept us safe Everything that we thought of that identified us uh, as a nation or as a community, we had a chance to look in the face of the fact that all those things that we thought protected us and were good for us were aimed against our neighbors who are people of color. We've seen in so many ways that the myths that we tell about ourselves as a country in the same way are just vanity because so many people do not get to experience them. This is where we've been in 2020. That that feeling that you're feeling is that feeling of vanity, that feeling of pointlessness and aimlessness. We are able to, to, to erect such amazing fortifications against this feeling in the modern world whether it's technological distractions, uh, whether it's um, you know being busy about our careers, whether it's uh, been the amazing advance of medical science we've been able to erect such fortresses around this central reality that people who lived before us knew almost instinctively that the world is a hard cruel place. That life at times, as Thomas Hobbes put it, is nasty, brutish, and short. And we have had the chance of not the entire wall falling down, but a large hole being torn in that wall by injustice and COVID-19. And I think this places us in the reality of the writers of the Bible, and especially the, the teacher here, who looked out into the world and didn't see what we see, but saw the rhythms of nature, saw the rhythms of birth and death, saw the rhythms of being married, saw the rhythms of letting your spouse go, saw the rhythms of working together and depending on not your work ethic only, but nature in order to bring out and produce what you needed to survive. The writer saw all those rhythms that we are at the mercy of. And we are at the mercy of so many forces that are beyond us. And it's almost scary to think about. And at times we use the things that we do as this kind of shield against the way that nature works. If we're afraid of dying, we go on a diet. We take our health really seriously. If you're on certain diets, you tell everybody about it. I've heard about the keto diet about 30 times, right? We we exercise. We do all of these things because we think that these will make us strong against the wasting away of our bodies, right? When we, when we fear poverty, we think that, well, as long as we get the right education and we take a major that will produce uh, a, a good paying job, right? If we do all these things that middle class people do and then make sure, and this is more of a eastern thing than a western thing but right we make sure that our lawns are mowed to that perfect degree right and in in my generation it's probably more about making sure that you have that unique taste in craft beer or in music right that shows that you're just you're smart enough to be just a little bit different from everybody else to join what Mark Maron calls the monoculture of free thinkers right or uh, you think that you have the right values about things you think that you have the right politics about things you think that you are on the side of things where the right people are or you might even say you know what look I'm a good person I go to church look at all of these wonderful charitable things that I do look at how much money I've given to the church look how much money I've given to this charity you know what I am a really good person all these things are like walls and are like barriers but but they don't matter. I will never forget uh, my, uh, who I talk about. Often my roommate in college who was Muslim and, and grew up in Lebanon. And uh, we were all just kind of sitting around and talking about religion. And we all had different opinions about religion. And he just kind of took a puff of his cigarette and went, you know, when I was really young, I went to mosque like every day. I was really devout. But then something happened and I stopped. And I don't remember why I stopped. But then I noticed that the same stuff happened to me. So why do I need to go to mosque anymore? He completely won that argument. <laughs> he completely won that argument. Right? The writer of the writer of Ecclesiastes says that this is the reality. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what kind of person you are. Time and chance just happen to you. Right? How many times have people been driving down a street minding their own business and been hit by a drunk driver? How many times um, you know, I had a friend that used to brag about his uncle who was on his third liver and was a massive alcoholic and managed to live well into his 80s and 90s. Doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what your lifestyle is. You can't add or subtract moments from your life in the way that you think that you can. And as a hospice chaplain, I see this constantly. I've been at the bedside of people who are amazing people, surrounded by family. Everybody is so sad. Everybody is telling me what an amazing person this is and what they mean to them. I've been at the bedside of people who have nobody there. And I call the one relative that they have because they burn all their bridges and the relative says, hey, I don't really want to be bothered with any of this. Just call me when he's dead. Mm -hmm. Could be in the room right next to each other. Death happens to you (laughs) no matter what you do in life. And so if you think that you are, by all of this stuff that you are doing, extending your life or pushing death back, you're really not doing that. What you're doing is you are trying to worship these things. You are trying to find righteousness in these things. It's very interesting that this word for vanity, hebel, it's also the word that the prophets will use to talk about worshiping idols. Right? The reason it's bad to worship idols, yeah, I mean, we, we're told that God gets jealous and God gets sad. But the reason that it's sad is that there's no point. Your keto diet can't save you. <laughs> your very well reasoned theory about uh, about society it can't save you the books that you read about anti-racism aren't going to save George Floyd and I heard there was another person murdered in a Atlanta a Wendy's drive-through uh, by the police uh, just recently it's not going to save those people it's tough to think about that But the things that we do, if we look for righteousness in them, we're not going to find anything at all. And as a matter of fact, the things that we think that we do to gain amount to nothing. But we are told by the writer of Ecclesiastes what actually amounts to something. It's in, uh, should I mention the book that we're reading Yeah, So we're reading a wonderful book called, uh, and I'll hold it up for you, uh, The Forgotten Books of the Bible, and I'm actually going to prove, I'm not going to prove, but I'm going to talk about his point. Uh, Robert uh, Williamson is an Old Testament scholar, also a pastor. And he we're going to be going through this the next couple weeks. That's why we're on Ecclesiastes now. Uh, He talks about all of these uh, books in the Bible that really don't get read that much. Ruth, Lamentations, Esther, um, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. all of these books that don't get read that much because they're, uh, and what a tragedy that is. So we're, we are going to the margins of the Bible in order to learn about uh, the margins in our own life. But anyway, he makes this wonderful point in this book about the difference between a Yitron and a Helek. Now Yitron is gain. A Yitron is your profit margin. So when uh, the the teacher looks at life and he says, what is there that's gain? He said, nothing. Because death is one giant withdrawal from your bank account that you'll uh, you'll never be able to come up on the right side of. There is no gain. But what you do receive is a portion, a chalik, which uh, Williamson describes as a gift card. <laughs> So that's what God is in the business of doing. If we look at the entire picture, it's a little daunting. Because if we look at the entire picture, things don't add up. But if we look at those little moments, and we see what God has given us in them, then there's something that we can hang on to. So, when the teacher says eat, drink, and be merry, this is not a call to hedonism. This is not a call to just stay home and smoke pot all day. What he is saying is the things that you are given are given to you by God. Enjoy them, right? The world around us becomes less about the things that we do to prove that we're righteous, to prove that God's lightning bolts shouldn't hit us. And we are taken from those things and moved to a place of things that we receive that show how good God is to us. It doesn't matter if it's the air in our lungs, the food that we have to eat, the phone call, from a family member, just to check on you and see how you're doing. The the show that you can't wait to watch the rest of on Netflix. Whatever those things are, those are God-given gifts to you that are given to you whether you deserve them or not. Luther talks about this in the small catechism. He lists all of the things from sheep and oxen, which I don't have any of those, but back then probably a few more did, right, down to the shoes that you wear. And says all of this God gives to us without any merit or deserving at all, but just because this is what God longs to do. And so righteousness is not something that we have to do. It's not something that we have to prove. Righteousness is something that we receive from God in the things that are placed in our hands. So, whether it is worrying about justice and worrying about how your neighbor is treated in this country, whether it is worrying about how to take care of your family, whether it is worrying about how to lift your voice on some issue, whether it is worrying about how to bless the world through the work that you've been called to do, the teacher says, Look, whatever is in your hands, do, and do it with all your might. Whatever God gives you, whether it's a gift for you to enjoy or whether it is something for you to do that says nothing about you but says everything about God's love for the world, just go and do it. And our vision, which so often tips into the past and is always looking to the future, what the teacher wants us to do is narrow that vision to the present moment. Not in some future. But to say, look at where you are standing. Look at what God is giving you. Take a breath and just rejoice and enjoy it. And you'll find that that's the way that Jesus comes to us too. Jesus comes to you in a word that you hear right now. I love you. You are forgiven. You are mine. You are mine forever. Jesus comes to you in water, in bread and wine, hopefully bread and wine soon, right? Jesus comes in the most immediate way because God finds us in the present. He doesn't beat us up about the past. That's the devil's business. He doesn't drive us to worry about the future. God comes to us in the present and just gives us gifts wherever we are. I found this in the midst of my COVID 19 panic. It was all very hard for me. I missed being able to take Noah into soccer. I was. Uh, getting really excited to do a little bit of assistant coaching. I missed seeing my patients. I was having such a hard time right about the time baseball season was supposed to start. I was really depressed. I was checking my temperature every couple minutes, worrying about if I had the disease or not or if I was uh, going to spread it to my family. It was such a mess for me right in the beginning, trying to figure church and Holy Week out. All of that was such a mess in the beginning. And there was one day where we kind of had uh, breakfast outside and Noah brought this toy with him that we got at Build-A-Bear Workshop. Uh, it is uh, Darth Vader is a teddy bear because uh, Noah loves Darth Vader and Noah will, will, Noah will carry this bear with him everywhere. And so we we had breakfast outside and then we kind of had our our day and uh, we couldn't find this bear. And I was trying to think of everywhere where we had possibly been that we could have lost him. I went, oh, he was in the front yard a little bit. Maybe he was left in the front yard and he was lost. I spent probably three hours tearing the house up, looking for this bear. And the whole time, I was just lamenting everything that was taken from me because of this disease. And the next morning... Marissa found, as she's the one who locates things in the house usually. Marissa found Darth Vader bear, uh, having slept outside for the night, next to the black uh, curtain of the of the grill. Uh, there was Darth Vader bear, and she gave that bear to me, and I hugged this bear like it was my long lost <laughs> brother. And I went, you know what? If God is able to give me this bear back, what else? is God able to do? It's in those little moments. It's in those little things that we find that God gives us everything because God wants to. And when we allow ourselves to enjoy those moments, our faith kicks in, and we find out that God's not even remotely done. Amen. Amen.